Hey there, fam. Welcome to the Lens of Faith podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about what it means to purify our hearts and to live a life that's holy. I know, I know. Don't check out yet. (laughs) This might not be the most popular topic or subject, but friends, it is the most necessary to be who God has called us to be. I really encourage you to open up your heart and your mind today as you listen to this powerful message. All throughout history and in every story in the Bible, you see what God is really after. What He really cares about is a pure heart. He's after our heart. What does it really mean to have a pure heart and to live a holy life? What does that really mean? I'm going to share my personal time that God gave me a deep revelation and His perspective on what this means. Of all the people in history, all the people in the Bible, of all the greats, there was only one that God called a man after his own heart. You know, growing up a church girl, I was never a David fan. I know most people love him. You know, it's their favorite person in the Bible is David, right? But I flat out didn't like him. He was the unfaithful, the murderer. I mean, come on, he was already super favored. You know, he was appointed by God to be king, and he already had eight wives. But still, he took the only thing that his most loyal servant, Uriah, treasured. And really, Uriah was the only one that was so loyal to David that he was willing to die for him and would not leave his side. He only had one precious wife, you know, Bathsheba, and he didn't even go home to be with her after battle. He chose not to leave and go home to his wife, but to stay by David's side. You know, it was bad enough that David slept with his most loyal servant's wife. But it gets even worse. Second Samuel 11 tells us a story. When David tried to hide his sin with Bathsheba, you know, after a battle, he sent Uriah home to go sleep with his wife because he knew what happened and he was trying to cover up his sin. So David told Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house, you know, because that's how loyal he was. And David was told, you know, Uriah didn't go home. So he asked him, haven't you just come back from military campaign? Why didn't you go home? But Uriah said to David, how could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as I live, I will not do such a thing. I will be your servant and stay by your side. Um, I just fought in battle for you. (laughs) I would be going home. (laughs) But Uriah did not. But David, trying to hide his sin, was urging him to go home to his wife. Because if he slept with her and then she became pregnant, it would make sense that it might have been Uriah's, not David's. David even invited him over, made him drunk. (laughs) King David was getting desperate. But that night, Uriah still went out to sleep on his mat among the master's servants. He still did not go home. What a loyal servant. So David, in his guilt and trying to cover up his sin, he just got desperate. And he told Joab, you know, put Uriah in a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. David put Uriah in the front of the battle, and that's where he was slain. When Bathsheba heard that she lost her husband, she mourned for him. But after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David did displeased the Lord. God sent his prophet Nathan to rebuke David. You see, you might be able to hide your sin from man, but not from God. We might think that we can hide our sin, cover it up, but it's true. Your sin always finds you out. It always gets brought to the light somehow. 
God is just so funny in just how sneaky he starts out, right? He tells David a parable about another man, right? (laughs) To get a reaction out of David. In fact, it was a setup to show him how clearly and how wrong his actions were. Nathan starts telling him a story. He tells them there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except for one little baby lamb that he bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the baby lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. After David heard this story, he burned with anger. He was so angry at the man in the story. And he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan looked at David and said, You are that man. I love Jesus' delivery, right? So knowing this story of David and who David was... I just flat out did not like him. And I really didn't understand why, with all the greats in the history of the Bible, David was the only one that God considered pure after his own heart. I'm like, why? I mean, come on, God, why not Job? Job that you stripped everything from and still never renounced you, that was faithful to his family, all of it. Job is my hero. Or why not Moses? Why not Noah? who served you with great faith and obedience. Why, David, how could he possibly be a man after your own heart? How can that be? I really struggled with this. God's answer blew my mind in that moment. God told me, it's not because David was perfect, but because he was humble, repentant, and had a pure heart. Let me say that again. It was because he was humble, repentant, and had a pure heart. You see, when Nathan rebuked David and he was confronted with his sin, he could have reacted many different ways. But he didn't get upset with God. He instantly humbled himself, admitted his wrongs, and accepted any form of punishment that God had for him. And God did have punishment for him. God told him that he would lose the son that he had with Bathsheba. David begged God to spare his son's life. He fasted, laid on the ground weeping for days. He wouldn't eat, but God came through on his word. As soon as his servants told him the bad news, David did what stunned me. Get this, friends. As soon as he heard the news that his son died, he got up, washed himself, and he instantly worshiped the Lord. He didn't get upset with God or stay under the sheets depressed. He didn't check in on his wife. I mean, these would have been normal reactions, right? Instead, he immediately went to worship God. Then he went to eat and check in on his wife. And in that moment, God really showed me so clearly on why David was the man after his own heart. It's not because he was perfect, but because he was repentant. How do we react when we feel disappointed or when God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we think He should? What is our immediate reaction? Like David, God requires us to stop, humbly repent, without excuse, 
and to get our heart right. That alone is a heart that pleases God. I know this is easier said than done, but when you have the right perspective and perception of Jesus, then it changes everything. He truly is a loving Father, and we need to worship Him in every situation. There is consequences to our sins and our actions, and like a good father, God disciplines His children. We need to keep our heart pure, humble, and repentant. And it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. All throughout the Psalms, we see this desperate cry and raw emotion from David. In one verse, he's crying out, God, why have you forsaken me? Then you read in the very next verse, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, and I will forever trust you. He laid out his heart wide open in such complete honesty, holding nothing back before his king. What God is seeking in us is not perfect performance-based faith. He instead seeks a humble and pure heart. He requires us to be free of selfish motive, of pride, and self-reliance. For we are nothing without Him, and we must purify our hearts. We can do nothing on our own, and everything belongs to Him. When we hold fast to that truth, then God is well pleased. Furthermore, when we come to Him with a humble and pure heart, He begins to use us in ways we can never imagine. We were created to be His light in this dark world and to make an unerasable mark. But we can't do that if we look like everybody else, if we sound like everybody else, if we enjoy the same things the world enjoys. We cannot be set apart and make that mark. We have to purify our hearts. As we repent and stay humble and He starts to purify our hearts, He starts to give us quick conviction. You know, I remember like, you know, I would get away with things in the gray area of my faith and I would say, you know, it was okay. I didn't feel convicted. It was okay to do this A, B, and C, right? The more I started to allow God to change my heart and to live a life that pleases Him, the more He started convicting me on everything. I mean, you know, I can't even breathe without the Holy Spirit getting my attention. Where before I would justify sin, I would justify anger, I would justify how I'd react or how I would think or the things that I would do. But the more that the Holy Spirit starts to change your heart and purify your heart, then you don't justify as if it's a gray area to do something. You actually want to do things that please the Lord. So it's not about what's right or wrong or what I can get away with or is that okay as a Christian to do these things. It's about does this please the Lord? Do I feel His presence, Him sitting next to me right now? Is is He pleased with what I'm doing, how I'm thinking, what I'm saying, or my attitude? You approach what you do with a mindset that you want to have a pure heart, you want to live a holy life, you want to be set apart and different, and that's what God is looking for. He's looking for a church, a bride that's set apart, that's different, because the times are getting more and more godless, and He is looking for a pure bride. But honestly, having a pure heart, living a holy life, living set apart is not popular right? When God started to do this heart transformation in me, He had to show me that it's not about being popular, it's about being purposeful. Ever since grade school, I was always a popular girl. I won class clown. I would always have all the friends. You know, very easy for me to make friends. I'm an extreme extrovert. I would joke and make everyone laugh. When I would go to a party, when I would walk through the door, you know, everybody would say, oh, the party's here now because I was there. So really being popular was almost a kind of an identity for me, you know, that everybody likes me, right? 
But the more that God started to strip me of that identity, which is a false identity, and to give me right identity, then he started to strip people and popularity from me. He told me one day, I didn't call you to be ordinary. I called you to be set apart. We can't chase pleasing man or being well-liked and also live a holy life. It's either one or the other. You can either please God or you can please man. You can't do both. So God calls us to be set apart. So it's not going to be popular. It's not going to be what the world tells us to do. When everybody's watching a popular show on TV, you might feel convicted of that. You're not going to fit in with the crowd. When everyone's watching these Netflix movies or going out, enjoying the nightlife and living on the fence with Jesus, he's going to start to convict you on these things. But I actually thank God for quick conviction. My heart is more pure because I'm allowing him to convict me and I'm sensitive to that and I repent anytime I need to. I don't wait and justify my sin, justify maybe being angry at someone or the way I I treated someone or maybe something I did or watched. I actually instantly feel like, oh, my heart's kind of yucky right now and I just want to let that go and I give it to God and I repent in the moment. And it's not like I'm walking around feeling guilty because that's from the enemy. But it's Jesus' kindness that leads us to repentance. He does it in a loving way as he ushers you closer to him. It's his heart that we reflect Jesus. We love like Jesus. We see people like Jesus and we keep our heart free of offense or anything that's going to clog or pollute our hearts. And when we allow the Lord to keep us in check, it keeps us in right standing with him. But when our hearts are not softened and humble, then in pride, we justify ourselves. We justify our thoughts and our actions. And at that point, it often takes something major to show us our faults, like with David, right? We become altogether desensitized, where we don't even see sin as sin. We don't see wrong as wrong. We compare ourselves to the world and we think we're okay. But there's that huge difference between conviction and shame. You know, the Holy Spirit softly convicts us to keep ourselves free of sin and to keep us living a righteous life. The purpose is for us to humble ourselves, to repent and become more Christ-like. It's for our own good and for His glory. But the enemy wants to bring guilt and shame in order to make us feel bad and unworthy. And his goal is to paralyze us. He also wants to blind us from our sin. You know, 2 Corinthians 7, God tells us, Now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance, and that leads to salvation, and it leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. I remember the time where I would get angry, I would hold on to unforgiveness and offense, and then justify that they were wrong. Many times I would not feel convicted at all. However, the more I repented of pride and allowed God to change and soften my heart, the more my heart changed. The more that we allow God to purify our hearts, the more sensitive we become and we get that immediate check in our spirit. And we can either ignore that or justify that check or quickly recognize it and repent. And that, my friends, is the big difference between being a casual, common Christian and being a Christian that strives for a righteous and holy life. We don't want to be desensitized to the necessary process of Jesus making us holy. As I was sitting in quiet time, I started thanking the Holy Spirit for being quick to convict me, whether my attitudes and my actions or thoughts. 
Friends, that is what leads us to a holy and righteous life. And when we live humble and sensitive, then we are able to receive that sweet conviction with open arms and not a rebellious spirit. And the end result is peace, a soft heart, and supernatural joy. I remember when I was invited to a guest church that I didn't know to hear an evangelist visiting from Florida. This young man had a specific message for the Church of America, this urgency to seek holiness above all. The church loves a feel-good message, but as soon as the topic of holiness is brought up, they hit the door. It's not a popular word. You know, words like isolation, holiness, a pure heart, they go against everything that the flesh desires. But God is looking for holiness. Us as the church have allowed compromise in our lives, and we must leave the old man or woman behind and seek holiness above all. God is only going to advance those with a pure heart. When we as a church repent, there will be a powerful shift. And shortly after I visited that church, I was actually invited to another church by different people. I was there to listen to a famous man of God from India. God sent him on an assignment to deliver a specific word for America and to us believers. As soon as he goes up to speak, he starts saying the exact same words of the man from the night before. Such confirmation. He continued by saying that many Christians will not survive the persecution that will take place before the rapture because they are not fully his and they will deny him. God is saying to repent of gossip, hypocrisy, impurity, seeking success, and a comfortable life. He is calling us to seek his face now in a time of desperation. This was a couple years ago, but it hits home today. God has allowed us in this COVID-19 to be stripped of so many distractions that took over our lives. And we can use this time to become who God has called us to be, to be set apart, to reflect on ourselves and purify our hearts, or we can stay busy even in this time. And that's the enemy's goal. He wants to keep us distracted, keep us busy, so we will not become who God has called us to be. We hear from the world all the time, do more of what makes you happy. But God says, do more of what makes you holy. When I heard both men from different parts of the world repeat the exact words one night after another, it completely shook me. My spirit awakened with a jolt to my heart like a spiritual defibrillator. I knew it was no accident that I was part of both of these nights to witness and to spread this word. I know the idea of holiness sounds old school (laughs) and it's not a popular message. And we live in a culture that defies anything holy, a culture that's full of compromise. Yet God is commanding us in these last days to clean our house, to prepare for what's to come. The Bible confirms over and over that the time is now, and He's sending us messengers to warn us before it's too late. We must take heed. The Lord has His hand of protection and grace upon our great country, and He will pour out a spirit in these last days like never before. But we must be a church that is ready. In Timothy 3, God tells us, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, 
rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny its power. We must repent for any compromise that we've allowed in our lives, strive to live holy and to seek His face, to purify our hearts, to seek godly character in our lives, so we will not buckle under pressure for God to prepare us, for we were born for such a time as this. God commands us all throughout His Word to be holy. In Corinthians, He says, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And then in Hebrews, He tells us, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. Then again in Romans, He tells us, Just as you used to offer the parts of your body to slavery, to impurity, and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. God can't make it any more clear than that, that we as Christians are to live a life that's holy and set apart. It's up to us. We can either chase to be popular and well-liked, or we can chase what is the heart of God, to rise up, friends, and to live that life that we were all meant to live. Throughout the book of Psalms, David cries out to the Lord, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He constantly, throughout the book of Psalms, cries out for a pure heart. It's not a one-time prayer. It's a constant, daily act of surrender and keeping our hearts right. You know, God tells us to purify our souls by our obedience to the truth, for sincere brotherly love, to love one another earnestly and from a pure heart. Any other love that we might have for people can be considered selfish love. It's only when God purifies our heart that we can love like Jesus loves with pure motive. I encourage you, friends, not to waste another day, another moment, but to get your hearts right now, for we are not promised tomorrow. This is the close of season one of the Lens of Faith podcast. Thank you so much to my listeners for all your encouraging feedback. It's been an honor to journey with you and walk in obedience as the Holy Spirit leads me. He chooses my topics and my guests and exactly what He wants me to share every week. I pray for you all the time that God encourages you, that He spurs you on, that you become exactly who He's called you to be. Love you, friends. I encourage you to pray this over yourselves. Lord, forgive me of pride and selfish motive in any way in me that doesn't please you. Purify my heart, for you are God, and without you, we can do no good thing. We need you. Come make my heart right and pleasing to you, Lord. Lord, I pray for your sweet conviction, that you would convict me of selfish motives, any thoughts actions or words that are not of you, that do not lead me to a holy life, Lord. Give me a hunger for holiness, Lord, a heart that wants to please you and to live right and set apart, not as the world calls us to live, but as you have called us to live time and time again, Lord. Thank you for who you are, for your patience, for your mercy, for your grace on our lives. And I just pray that you would continue to purify my heart. I yield, I seek you, and I surrender all to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Look out for more of Lens of Faith podcasts starting back up with season two starting next month.
Subscribe for weekly updates at leahmariecarson.com and follow on Instagram at The Lens of Faith. Talk to you soon. Bye.